0: You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. We're a decade down the road from getting married, but if you will take these things because God's Word is true and begin to apply them to your life, I promise you they will benefit you. If you can learn these things that God has given us through His Word, then you will come out on the better side, transformed and built up and encouraged. And that's my hope for today, that we all become encouraged, that we all get filled with a little bit of life, joy, and love today concerning this. And, and there's a reason why we're talking about this, but before we do, we absolutely, absolutely need to pray, okay? So we're going to pray and just ask the Lord to just kind of, uh, the Holy Spirit just to, to cover today. Uh, Lord, we thank you today. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see, and hearts ready to receive. We thank you, Lord. We believe that your word is true, that it is the only truth, and so we come to it hungry. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are covering us with a measure of your grace right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Normally, I start off with a story, but today I'm going to start off with a joke that uh, my dear friend Joel told me, Joel Osteen told me this, and um, uh, <clears throat> he might have told it to you too, so if you heard him tell you this joke, don't ruin it for your neighbor, your neighbor three men were sitting at, a, at the edge of a very wide river that was moving very fast that they needed to cross. And they were wondering how they were going to cross this river, and the first man cried out to God and said, God, God, give me the strength to cross the river. And poof, God gave him strong legs and strong arms, and he swam across the river in two hours. The next man was like, wow, that's amazing. And so he cried out to God, and he said, God, please give me the strength and the tools to cross this river, and poof, God gave him a boat, and he rode across in just 30 minutes. And finally, the last man was amazed at what God had been doing, so he too cried out to God and said, God, please give me the strength, the tools, and the wisdom to cross this river. And poof, God turned him into a woman. She looked at the map, walked up the river, and crossed the bridge in five minutes. Uh, Joel's church laughed a little bit more than that. Um, I'll let them know. Today, today we're, we're talking about God's pattern for marriage and I really want you to put a smile on your face and just relax and, and just receive the word today. We're gonna, I'm going to give you just five simple keys to having a, a strong marriage, to having a, preparing your heart for marriage, getting in that place. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five, uh, verse 21. We're going to read out of that in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. Go to your phone or look up on the screen. But why are we talking about this today? Why are we even talking about a pattern for our marriage? Um, We all know that marriage is important. If you're married, I hope you know that marriage is important. But here's a couple of things I want you to understand. Is that we need a pattern in our marriage so that we continue to grow. 20 years ago, last Wednesday, my wife and I got married. And I was thinking back on that, and I was laughing because I was 21, she was 19. Sounds like a song. And... uh, We were just in love. We met at Bible school. We dated for six months. We were engaged for six months, and we got married. And you know what? It was great. We didn't have a lot of common sense or a lot of common money, but we just loved each other. As a matter of fact, the very first car we owned was a red Isuzu Ombre 2-seater. And that was wonderful because it was a stick shift because I liked being close to her. She liked being close to me. So it was perfect when we were newly married. But not long into our marriage, we got pregnant with our first child, and we quickly realized that a two-seater can only be stretched so far, but we didn't mind. We put Maddie in the car seat in between us, and I had to reach around her to to do the stick shift, but I didn't mind, and then my son came and ruined everything, and uh, we had to get rid of the truck. Uh, I'm only kidding, son. I love you. Um, But I, I was thinking back on it. I was thinking, you know, those days were so simple. Those days were so pure. They were great. We didn't need a lot of things. We didn't need all that. But oftentimes what happens when we don't have a pattern for our marriage or go to God's word for a pattern in our marriage is that we'll get stuck in the beginning places. And God has an intent for your marriage, and it's this, that you continually grow, and it gets better and better and better. Believe it or not, I know some of you are like, what? No, believe it or not, God's intent is that your marriage enriches as you go down the road. And if we wouldn't have developed our hearts and our souls, not just our stuff, not just our cars and the places we live and all that, but if we wouldn't have developed, according to the word of God, our hearts and our souls and our attitudes and our feelings and our mind, then guess what? We would have just been stuck in there. And all too often what happens is that couples who don't grow together, that don't have a pattern for growth, they look back and they say, oh, I just wish it was back when we were first married, when we were first young. But listen, that only happens when we don't apply God's word and continue to grow into the great places God is calling us to in our relationships. Another reason why is so that we simply avoid the pitfalls of marriage. Marriage is work, believe it or not. It is work. And so there are things that can happen to any marriage that can become pitfalls, that can become huge chasms, that can ultimately end up dividing if we're not careful. Things like miscommunication. Miscommunication, misunderstanding of values, mistrust, all these things can happen. In my 20 plus years of ministry, as I've talked to couples who have found themselves in difficult places, some of them at the brink of divorce, 99.9% of the time, what happens is this, is that they never understood how to communicate, and communication is the issue. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. And it's really one of the saddest things that we can just avoid these things because we don't look at God's word. We don't ask God for help with it. We don't go and say, God, Holy Spirit, please help me in my marriage. To know how to do these things that are important to our relationship, that would grow our relationship. And they become these pitfalls, these huge things that were never intended to be huge things. There's also another reason that we're talking about it today, and this is a very important reason that we're going to see in just a moment in the book of Ephesians. And it's this, is that God has chosen the picture of marriage to best be the tangible display of the love that Jesus has for the church, for you and I on the earth. And if you want a beautiful picture, and if you want to grow in love with Jesus, then growing your marriage is a good way to grow in love with Jesus. Because a healthy marriage looks the way that God intends for us to understand the way that Jesus loves us. And we're going to see that today. We're going to understand these things today. We're going to get these things. And I want to encourage you, because the challenge may not come in the revelation It may come in the application of these things. So write them down. Just make a jot on your phone. Open up the memo part of your phone and just plug these things in. And take them home. Think about them. Ask the Holy Spirit to stick them to your heart. In Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, we're going to read this. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I can't tell you another passage in the Bible that has been probably misunderstood more so than this. And I need to explain to you as we get started in these five things, what this is and what this isn't. What this is, is a picture within a picture, a picture within a picture And what God is trying to show us and the best way to understand it is by first understanding the love in which Jesus loves the church. Let me just break this down for you really quick because this is an amazing thing. As a matter of fact, if you want to grow in your marriage, the first thing as individuals you need to do is grow in the revelation of the way that Jesus loves you. And this is what the scripture is telling us, is that Jesus provided everything for us to understand love. He sacrificially laid down his life. He gave up of his own life. He provided every means for our salvation, our sanctification, our ability to get right, and our ability to stay right, our righteousness. He gave us all things. And he didn't do it because he was trying to prove something about himself. He did it because simply, powerfully, he loved you. He loved you. He saw you in a position, he saw me in a position where I was unable to do any of these things, unable to free myself from the weight of my sin, and he sacrificed himself as the atonement, as the one who was able to cover my sin, and freely gave it out to me so that I could know what it truly meant to have life and to be loved. And so this is the overarching picture here that the scripture is telling us. And then it goes on and says this, That the way we understand this or one of the ways we understand this is in the context of marriage and a healthy marriage that is lined up to God's word. Where there is mutual submission and mutual respect. And that there is equal love that is being displayed one to another. This is not a hierarchy, friends. This is not the hierarchy. What this is are two people coming together to become one thing. As a matter of fact, the scripture says something that's actually quite confusing. It does really weird math on us. It says two things. Andy and Kim, actually, when they said, I do, up here 20 years ago, they became one person to God. See, this is the way that Jesus wants us to understand our relationship with him. If you don't understand that you are completely tucked in to the love of Jesus, separated by nothing, able to be pulled out by, and by nothing, then you don't fully understand the love that Jesus has for you. And so when we come to marriage, what the, the scripture is telling us is this, is that literally you too become one person in heart and soul. And that the, the spouse's feelings, the other person's feelings need to matter to you as much as your own, more than your own. It's this beautiful picture of unity That is only fostered through mutual submission, great love, unselfish love, and crazy respect. And here's what it's not. It's not a hierarchy because oftentimes the scripture, and if I could just be honest to you guys, the scripture has been misinterpreted. And for a long time, guys, listen, we've stood up and we've stamped ourselves with the badge, like I'm the boss, applesauce, just read, you know, 23 through 25 and let you know, baby, that I'm the boss, submit submit to me. And I want to tell you something, listen, at times in a a relationship there is an order and there is a stopping place, but here's what I want to explain to you, man, and, and you need to hear, you need to understand, and the best way to understand this is maybe just dropping back a few books all the way to the beginning of the Bible and understanding that when God created the heavens and the earth, and he put Adam on the scene. And he looked out and he said, hey, it is good. Adam, you have dominion over all the birds of the air and all the mammals on the earth and the fish of the sea. Go to it. It didn't take God long to to kind of look back on the scene and say, this isn't good anymore. This is no longer good. And I can only imagine, honestly, that Adam was probably doing some crazy things out there. If it were me, he probably, like, tried to ride a lion or something, was out there just, like, goofing off. And God understood that it wasn't good. And what did God do? He knocked Adam out. He laid Adam asleep, and he pulled out a rib, and he created Eve, a helpmate. That's why the Scripture says this. Man didn't come for woman, but woman from man. And here's why. Because God understood men very carefully, and listened to me, very intently is God understood that you and I needed a helpmate. We needed somebody to balance, somebody to become grace, somebody to become order, somebody to become structure in our lives. And when we understand that God has equipped every one of us with strengths and roles, and we begin to respect those the way that God has created, we begin to know the boundaries in which a healthy marriage can be created. And so we have to understand it and come to that. And the first thing that we have to agree upon is this, is that God's Word is true. No matter where your marriage is, God's Word is true. And that if your heart is to say in your relationship with your spouse that you desire for this to be the best relationship you've ever experienced, then we have to come to God's Word and say, God, would you begin to turn my heart to my spouse? Would you begin to help me to love them? As I love myself, five things really quick, the first thing is this: what is the pattern of marriage? First thing is communication, communication in James one nineteen it says this: "My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Communication is a, oftentimes a very difficult and uncomfortable thing within context of a marriage relationship but it's the most important thing communication involves several aspects that are more than simply just talking it involves the ability to be able to learn how to listen well learn how to listen well and seeking to understand learn how to listen well how do we listen well how do we listen well Well, listening well involves something. It involves engaging the other person when they're speaking. And I'm just going to talk practically to you for a second. Because listening well, when we we talk about engaging somebody when they're speaking, it it means this, is that we have eye contact. Sometimes the greatest enemy to our relationships in the way of communication are these things right here. How many of you have been at a restaurant with your spouse and you're talking? This is me oftentimes, and I'm scrolling through my phone. And my wife's looking at me like, are you serious? Are you serious right now? I'm like, I'm catching, I'm catching every third word that you're telling me right now, baby. I got it. You said kids? All right. School? I got it. Okay. And then she'll finally just grab my phone, and she doesn't throw it, but she'd like to throw it out, out, the, out the window, but she doesn't do that. Why? Because she understands something that's very important, is that when we, it comes to communication, that there's a very important aspect of Engaging somebody as they're talking. Listening requires us to engage somebody, to make eye contact with somebody. To look at them, to see what they're saying, not just the words that are coming out of their mouth. To hear their heart, to spend the time to do that, also requires us to become non-defensive. Maybe in your communication times in your relationship the communication aspect of your relationship has gotten tense because everybody comes to it defensively. One of the greatest things you can do is ask the Lord to help you to become non-defensive in your communication. That means this, that you may even have to posture yourself in a different way. You may have to sit down. You may have to stop and find a place that you guys can relax and recline in order to have a conversation that can begin to foster healthy communication. These are all really important things. I understand that these are simple things, but in the world we live in where everything is moving so fast and we've scheduled everything to a T and then we've got other things pulling our attention, in order to have healthy communication in our marriage, we have to put these things in place and there has to be good moments of healthy communication. There has to be a time of the day that you are sharing and having a time to communicate I understand that our lives are very busy. We all got a lot of things going on. We got places to take the kids. But as spouses, you need to decide what time of day you're going to choose to communicate every day. It may be right before bed. It may be as you wake up. It may be during lunch if it affords if you have that ability. Whatever time of the day it is, you have to have a time set aside every day in which you are going to have authentic, genuine communication take place. You can't skip a day. You can't pass by it. You can't put it in on the weekend. It needs to happen every day. Why? Very simply is that your partner, your, your spouse, is the greatest asset that God has ever given you. The greatest source that God has ever given you. And you have to spend time every day listening to needs, listening to heart, listening to the things and the objectives and the values that you're heading toward. There needs to be a time of day. If you need to schedule it, schedule it. But make it a commitment that you don't break. Make it a commitment that you don't fudge on, that you don't move. Make it as serious to you as anything in your life. We all have time in our day to do the things that we want to do. When we make time and we begin to value this, I promise you that you will begin to see the fruit in your relationship grow greater and greater? What about the times that we're having to talk about things that are difficult to talk about? What about those times in those uncomfortable situations where we need to share our fears and our failures and maybe some of our hope in our future? In our relationship, there's hot-button topics, if I can just be honest and vulnerable to you. Maybe in your relationship, there's some the same There's things that I don't like talking about and Kim doesn't like talking about either. But there are things that we must talk about. Things like money, things like future, things like hurts. Those things that come up in a relationship where if they're left undone, the enemy will sneak in and try to put a wedge in your marriage. In those times, you have to be careful and you you need to have a plan. Difficult things are hard to talk about, but when you have to talk about difficult things, the first thing that you have to do is that you have to purpose in your heart to listen without becoming defensive, to listen without attacking. When you speak, you are not attacking. Why? Because you're not listening to words. You are listening to feelings that are coming out of your spouse's mouth. And the feelings that are attached to your spouse's heart are as important as the words that are coming out of their mouth. And oftentimes to get to the core issues within your spouse's heart, you have to go through a lot of words. But if you do not deal with the issues that are within your spouse's heart, you will cause a hurt that is unnecessary. And so in your marriage, when it comes to communication, you have to set aside times where even though these conversations are not, are not easy, they may be difficult, you sit down and you have them. But you have to approach them from a non-defensive place. You have to acknowledge that the feelings that are coming up are feelings that may have to be dealt with. But here's the key when you're working through the difficult conversations in your marriage and feelings and passions begin to rise up, your greatest strength comes from the support of your spouse. There is one thing absolutely I know for sure, that when I am in my greatest times of fear in my life, things that I want to bottle up inside of me, things that I don't want to share with anybody, that are just wrecking havoc on my mind and my heart, The second that I sit down and I say, Kim, this is going to sound crazy. I'm not met with somebody who's going back at me and saying that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. She comes back at me with the strength that God knew I needed in my life to hurdle some of the difficult things in my life. And if you create a pattern in your marriage to handle some of the difficult areas non-defensively and understanding and listening to feelings and knowing that together you guys possess strengths where somebody else has a weakness and you guys approach it that way and begin to work on something together, God is going to bring you through those difficult things and bring you to a place of great victory in your marriage. Trust me. Believe me. The second thing is this. Respect. Respect. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 7, 12. He says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, Do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. This is an amazing simple truth, but something that is absolutely necessary in a healthy marriage for there to be mutual respect. Oftentimes, disrespect happens through improper expectations. Improper expectations. When things aren't talked about or there is an expectation, an unfair expectation that's placed on a partner, what takes place is this. Is that disrespect quickly follows after that? And in order for us to begin to respect our spouses, to respect your wife, respect your husband, you have to release expectations that are unrealistic. Release expectations that are unrealistic. You know, unrealistic expectations take place in our heart because of uh, unmet needs that we have within us. And here's the truth about unmet needs within us, is that God and God alone is looking to fill those places, not your spouse. And so when we have these things that we're trying to impose on somebody else to meet a need that's aching within our heart, What we need to do first is to go to God and say, Holy Spirit, will you please heal my heart? Why? Because when we put an unfair expectation on somebody else, we are creating ground to breed disrespect. God doesn't want that. He desires us to have healthy respect with one another. Respect involves building trust. Building trust. We have to have trust in a relationship, for a relationship to be healthy. And trust starts small and it starts simple. Simply said, just say, do what you say all the time. When you say something, do it. When you give a promise, fulfill it. When you make a commitment, go through with it. Build steps of trust. Build steps of trust. When we choose in our marriages to build steps of trust, what takes place is this, is that respect follows up. When we become people that make a commitment and give a word and we follow through, then trust follows and respect follows that. Understand that each of you have strengths and weaknesses. There are things that I'm very good at and things that Kim is very good at. We have a running joke in our our house because... With five kids, um, nothing's where it should be at all, ever. And so the kids will come to me and be like, Hey, dad, do you know where whatever is? And my go to response is, Go ask your mom, <laughs> right? Why? Because literally it can be right in front of me, like the old saying, If it was a snake, it would bite you type of thing. That is so true for me. And, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't see it. I wouldn't see it. I don't know what happened. I don't know why that disease is on me, but it is. And so I have that. And I understand something very simply, but even more powerfully than being able to find things, is that there are strengths that Kim possesses that I don't. And that's okay. Because remember, the math that God used when he put us in covenant is that he took two things and he made them one. Because he understood that the things that I was called to, it wasn't just me, it was us. And he understands that if you're in a marriage covenant, that God isn't pulling you two separate directions. He's pointing you one powerful direction. And what you need, men is not just met in you; wives is not just met in you, but it is absolutely met together. And the greatest way that we can respect our spouse is when we honor those strengths that they possess. Another way, a simple way to to have respect in your relationship is to find out what makes the other person happy and then do it. One of the greatest things that I can do in the morning, and I don't do it often enough, is to make a cup of coffee for my wife, but she likes it really a, a weird way. It's almost not coffee. It's mainly creamer and sugar. But she likes it like that. I drink my coffee primarily black, But when I bring her a cup of coffee that is the way she likes it, it shows so much amazing respect to her. The simplest things. They're not very big things, but the simple things that just make somebody happy show a great amount of respect. Number three, forgiveness. Forgiveness. James 1, 20 and 21 says this, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. I'm going to read one more to you in Ephesians four twenty six through 27 This is a powerful scripture. It says this, in anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. One of the, the worst things that we can do in a relationship is go to bed mad. Why? Because when we go to bed mad that we're sulking on that, we're meditating on that anger, it's just festering. It's getting bigger and bigger, more irrational and irrational in our thinking. And then it begins, when it finally comes out, it explodes into something, something huge. Here's just a simple reality within marriage is that mistakes will happen, fights will happen, but you need to learn how to fight fair. You have to learn how to fight fair. I don't know one couple in the universe that doesn't fight and have some disagreement at some time but the way we do it makes all the difference in the world there's a mean way and believe it or not there's actually a nice way what are you talking about pastor let me let me just explain to this explain this to you so here's the thing whenever we fight is that don't use words that are going to tear down don't use mean words Listen, even when you're angry and you have to vent and you have to let something out, when you choose to use language that deteriorates somebody's identity or their value, it does exceedingly great damage in their life. And isn't there that tendency when we do that and we get to that place to want to just go for the throat? To just go and just want to rip their eyes out. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. When you fight, fight with a resolution in mind. I've said this many times before, but this is something that we stick to in our relationship. And it's this. We can fight, but the first person who apologizes is right. That's really kind of a Jedi mind trick right there. Because we'll go at it sometimes, but then the first person that goes, Hey, I'm sorry, sweetie. I, I you know I was wrong. <laughs> you're you're right. Listen, that's just a way to get us back into right relationship with one another. That's a way to end the fight. See, there has to be a conclusion to a fight. There has to be a conclusion to it, and the conclusion is forgiveness. There will be times that you make mistakes, times that you do things and say things that you shouldn't, and the best way to get back into the place of peace is by humbling yourself and asking for forgiveness. I'm sorry I said that. I shouldn't have said that to you. Please forgive me. What I said was wrong. I don't ever want to say that to you again let me tell you something else very practical and I know a lot of what I'm saying today is very practical stuff but all too often we put the impractical into our relationships and we fail to see the common sense that could save a marriage is that husbands and wives please hear me on this I want to say this very directly and sternly to you is that when you fight do not use the word divorce in your fights do you hear me don't do it Don't let it be uttered from your mouth. And here's why. is because you're not just playing with somebody's emotions. You're not just trying to hurt somebody that you love and you care about very deeply. But you're actually stepping a little bit outside of your realm of authority. And you're impeding upon God's covenant. And God takes very seriously the fact that when you two stood up and you made a promise to one another for the rest of your lives. And he sealed you supernaturally in that idea of two becoming one. That it was never meant to be broken. God loves marriage. God hates divorce. And so here's the thing. Is that when we fight in these situations. Don't throw that word around. Don't throw that word around. The next thing is this. And this is. Um, just brace yourself. Is intimacy. Every he- healthy marriage needs to have intimacy in it. I want to read to you from a very great book that if you haven't read it in the Bible, go ahead and read it. The Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is great because this is a conversation between a husband and a wife. And the first part is what he says. Now listen to these words, man, if any of you all need some, something to write on your card for your anniversary. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful, your eyes are doves. We need some Barry White playing in the background right now. You know what happens is that, is that she hears these words, and it, it does something magical because she goes, her response is, Ooh, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. Our bed is verdant. Uh, you, don't, you don't need me to break that word verdant down for you. I think you all get it. And here's the reality within every relationship, every marriage, is that there has to be intimacy involved in every marriage. Uh, This shouldn't be uncomfortable. This shouldn't be awkward. This should be something that we understand according to God's word. And here's what I want to tell you, is that not all intimacy evolves to physical intimacy. There has to be something else. Men, listen to me. There has to be something other than the outcome of physical intimacy. We get it. We all know how men and women are wired differently. We know that men need a certain thing and women need a certain thing. But intimacy involves more than just sex. Intimacy involves speaking words of love and affection. My my wife was, was blessed with this amazing gift of cuddling. She's a toucher, a cuddler. She comes from a long family of touchers. And I was blessed with the don't touch me, like, you know, like, button, like, you know, I'm I'm not not that guy, right? And so my wife loves to cuddle, loves to touch, loves to snuggle, loves to, like, kiss my cheek and just, like, and she does it kind of now just messing with me because she knows I, like, start to get squirmish, like, ah. But I understand that that has to take place, if I can just be honest. That has to take place, that there needs to be words spoken. There needs to be time spent alone every day for just a little while while you are looking into your spouse's eyes and speaking sweet things to them, even if it's just for a moment. (laughs) Men, send a text message throughout the day Girl, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, right? I don't know. Listen, I'm just, I'm giving you guys stuff to do right here. But you got to put it into your relationship. Why? Because intimacy is one of the most powerful things that God put inside the marriage covenant. And when it is challenged and it is compromised, it will begin to erode a marriage. But God said, look, let it be healthy. Let it be good. Let it be powerful. But there is so much more to intimacy than sex, And if we don't get with it, if we don't understand these things, our marriages are not going to progress to the place of the healthiness that God's word says that they can go to. But there also, let me say very clearly, needs to be time of physical intimacy in every marriage. There needs to be time where that happens. It cannot be isolated and cut out. It has to take place. I know most of you understand that. But I also understand that we have to look at God's word and see what God's word says. You have to make time to make love. Sorry, I won't embarrass you, but there it is. I say, Pastor, really? Do we need that today? Look, it's in the Bible, it's in Song of Solomon. It's all about it. I dare you to read the book. I dare you to go. Look, it's it's the best book of the Bible concerning marriage, relationship and intimacy that you can ever read. It's because God valued it. It's the best place to experience it within the covenant of marriage. Let's keep going. <laughs> the last one is this. Learn to enjoy one another. Learn to enjoy one another. Proverbs 22:17 says a cheerful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Don't take yourself too seriously. Laugh at yourself. I told my wife this morning, <laughs> I, I said, we were at a party and I said, I met a gentleman there who's older than me and I said, hey, this guy looked at me and I was telling him how long we've been married and, and he said, how old are you? You don't look like you're older than your mid-30s. And her immediate response to me was like, what? Did he see all your gray hair? <laughs> I was like, ah. <laughs> But I laughed. That's all right. You don't take yourself too seriously. Find something that you like to do together. Enjoy one another. Find something that you like to do together and do it. And most importantly, when it comes to enjoying one another, pray together and pray for each other. Pray together and pray for each other. Justin, you guys can come up. I want to talk for just a second as we wrap this up and we're done. How do we get there from here? I want to say to some of you because I made a statement earlier that could sound rather hurtful and I I want to I want to lay some context on it. Because I said that God hates divorce. He does. But if you found yourself in a position or a place today where you've gone through a divorce, let me be very clear to you. God does not hate you. He loves you. And if your heart is ever to be remarried or to to move down the road and that one day to be part of your future, then God's best is for you. He's not judging you. He's not angry at you. He doesn't want to hurt you or harm you. No matter how it turned out, no matter how it happened, if you've put yourself under the blood of Jesus, He loves you. He loves you and He wants His absolute best for you. Because I do fully understand that today in all seriousness, we need to understand some of these practical things. And we need to apply some of these things. And I really, really hope that somewhere in this message that you maybe saw a few things that you can begin to work on. That you can begin to say, yeah, you know, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can take that and begin to do that. But I want you to understand this, that there, I know that there's some folks that may be going through some really hard places. And you say, I, I don't. I don't know how we're gonna get good again. I don't know how it's gonna get better again. It does nothing seems to work. And I want you to hear these next few words out of my mouth, and I want your heart to be set on a on a place of hope, on a platform of hope. The first thing that we have to do is this is start small. Start small. Don't get overwhelmed. Even though you think that you might be in a great hole, nothing is impossible with God. Start small. Be patient. Be patient. Understand that the God who put you in covenant still sees you, He still knows you. And that if you choose to look at Him and you choose to obey His Word and you choose to trust Him, that He's capable of healing anything. Work on you. Work on you. Maybe the most frustrating thing when it comes to a covenant relationship is understanding that the person that you're in covenant with has got some flaws. And it's natural in our hearts to say, God, if you would just fix this person here, here, and here. But the reality is this, is that God just simply doesn't work that way. He works with us on an individual basis, doesn't he? And so this morning, probably the greatest application you can have if you find yourself in that place is say, Holy Spirit, would you just lovingly, kindly, patiently show me what I need to work on, what I need to change. And then as the Lord shows you that, choose to say, God, give me the strength to do that. Give me the strength to do these things. Maybe I need to love better. Maybe I need to be more understanding. Maybe I need to stop speaking angrily or deal with anger. Whatever it is, Ask the Lord to show you and rely on his grace to help you with those things. The next thing that we all must do is this. No matter where your marriage falls, is that you have to speak life into your marriage. You have to speak life into your marriage. You've got to stop. If you are entertaining the other side of the fence whatsoever, stop it. Stop it right now. Stop If you're entertaining just in your thinking, maybe the words have never slipped out of your mouth. Stop. And begin to speak life according to the word of God into your marriage. And then speak peacefully to your spouse. I challenge every person here who's in a marriage covenant this next week, all week long, to speak words of peace. Words of life to their spouse. Even when you're challenged, even when you're frustrated, even when you feel like your back's up against the wall, speak words of peace and see what it does in your relationship. And then finally, stay committed to God. Stay committed to God's word. This is where we start, started with, and this is what we'll end with is that God's word works. God's word works. And if we'll say, God, I trust your word as a final authority on my relationship and on my marriage. And I believe, trusting you, that your word is able to do all things. That's a bold statement. It takes a lot of faith. But when we choose to do that, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a position where we're releasing the control of things that we can't change and looking to something that's greater than us that has the ability to change all things. And God's word will not fail. His word is true. Some of you may have been holding on for years. Hold on. Anchor yourself to the word. God's word will not fail. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? I want to tell you that next week, we're going to wrap up this series talking about God's pattern for our children. It's going to be funny. God's word works. This morning, what I want to do as we close is I want to pray for you. And I would like to invite each one of you to just make a personal altar right where you stand. Maybe you're standing next to your spouse this morning. And if you're comfortable, put your arm around them. And I want you to just pray over them as we pray together. But we're also going to have a few folks here that will be willing to pray. I'm going to invite Rodney and Pam Pasetti to come up and Pastor Spud and Kiki to come up. Because if you're walking through something this morning that you are struggling with, and you need somebody to come into agreement with you, we want to do that. Maybe you're in a position between, and you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm believing God for somebody. That somebody's not there yet. Then can we stand in agreement with you? Can, can, we, can we join with you and hope and say yes, that God has somebody special for you? That don't worry, don't, don't, don't get distracted, don't look in the wrong places. But believe God because he loves you and he knows you and he'll put the very best in your life. He loves you that much. And even this morning, if you've walked through something this last year that has been devastating, and your heart is broken, please don't leave this place heartbroken. Let us please love you and pray with you. And ask God to heal your heart. He will. He will. Let's pray. Father, I know above all things that you love marriage. What a beautiful picture that you've given us to show how much Jesus loves us how much He desires to spend time with us, how much He desires to talk with us, to know us, to love every area of our heart. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray for every marriage. Lord God, every person, Father God, whether or not they're married, that the full revelation of Your love would fill our hearts. Lord, touch every marriage. Lord, heal wounds maybe that have been inflicted. Lord, tie and bind together hearts in a greater way than ever before. Seal them with your love. Let us be a church filled with people who love the way Jesus you love. We thank you, Holy Spirit. It's only in your power that all this can be done. Amen. Amen.